everybody. It's the Badger, and welcome to our digital podcast where we talk about and educate you on blockchain technology and cryptocurrency and digital goings on. With me this morning is Johnny Fry. Say hi, Johnny. Hi, Badger. How are you doing? I am super fabulous, ready to rock and roll. Excellent. Um, Yeah, excellent. Today we are on West Loves East Radio, my flagship station, the heart of my hearts. It is um, one of two of our dedicated to Asian language music and global artists around the world. It is... uh, got a lot of followers um, a lot of listeners uh we just hit the over million mark just for the station alone so we're super proud of it it's been right. around since uh valentine's day of 2018 is when we were born and uh we have been hitting it hard and going strong for a a while now and uh well that's good bad so there good. you go yeah, well, as well, we started writing Digital Bytes, which is a weekly analysis looking at how, where and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used. And we started that in March 2018. And we've got a couple of clients um, that actually translate Digital Bytes every week into Chinese. And then really super cool. They send it to all their clients right across Asia via WeChat, because WeChat can be sent, whereas emails you can't get into some countries. So we're really proud yep. that we've got a couple of Chinese clients sending digital bytes um, to all their clients um, every week talking about blockchain and digital assets. That is why, uh, because of those restrictions, this is one of the reasons why we have a lot of our radio stations are nested onto web pages because okay. we found out from some of our fans that live in Russia and um, parts of China and even in parts of, uh, oh, in parts of the Eastern areas where our music is actually illegal. Oh, wow. They are able, yeah, they're able to get onto our web pages and listen to our radio stations because they're not even allowed to put the apps on their phones. Oh, my goodness. Well, Badger, we're, we're back on the air. And this week we're looking at, um, well, we said we'd look at blockchain technology and how it's just gathering speed. It seems like more and more um, companies are beginning to use blockchain. And it's, I think, what's going to happen within five years. We won't even talk about the technology. It'll just be that's what's happening in the background behind various apps and platforms when people are buying and selling all sorts of goods and services. Yeah, correct. You know what? I think it's, I think it's just going to slowly, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's just slowly going to be there. It's just going to exist. It's going to become magically part of the infrastructure, right? Like electricity did. Like uh, nobody, well, it's, like, it's like a Word document or Excel. You don't <clears> talk <throat> about that. Oh, I've just sent you a Word document, um, Badger. We just that's what we do. That's um. But there's there's some what it's interesting because at the moment, from what we see here in Europe, is that 
it's more about you have to re-educate people rather than tell them what it's about because most people have heard of blockchain and they immediately think of well blockchain well that must be something to do with bitcoin and that's some sort of ponzi scheme or speculation and i don't really want to get involved in that but but actually you couldn't be further from the truth you know blockchain technology is being used in agriculture in the pharmaceutical sector it's being used for voting it's being used by car manufacturers and it's not just the blockchain there's over a thousand different blockchains being created and used for different reasons by different people depending on the speed the security uh, and what are you trying to do with the information on a blockchain yeah and you know and if people don't realize blockchains have been around forever forever i remember way back in the day and i think this was um part of uh one of of very few blockchains that were working and um SETI, the study for um listening to out in space yep. for um alien technology, you could set up on your computer for your computer to compile the data that SETI was getting from outer space. And I have that on my computer. And that was when my kids were young like maybe 20 years ago and yeah, well, i think that was a type of blockchain well a lot of your ri- listeners will um if they've not heard a study they will have heard of napster the file music yep. file sharing and that was a kind of blockchain um but look let's, let's just get the terminology really clear really simple think of it just as an excel spreadsheet on steroids that's all yep it, it's just yeah, holding it's a giant database just a giant database, but the information is held cryptographically. What does that mean? It just means it's held very, very securely, very, very safe. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people are concerned that because the way blockchains work, you have to have lots of computers working out a complicated, a cryptographic clue. Um, and once they do that, then they're rewarded with a stake or with some tokens or whatever. But but that 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 type of blockchain, and Bitcoin is an example of that. Um, we're seeing more and more blockchains moving to what ethereum have now got which they moved in uh 2022 i last year to something called um proof of stake and proof of stake uses less than 10 percent of the energy that proof of works so the actual underlying mechanism of blockchains um have become much much greener and much more environmentally friendly but but probably even more important we're seeing many organizations using blockchain technology as a way to record and ascertain companies this is how what we're doing at the moment we can record it and we can monitor it and we can track it and all of that is open to the shareholders to the staff to whoever it is wants to see what that company is doing and blockchain technology is bringing transparency and encouraging companies to have a real solution to reducing their carbon footprint so a couple of different ways therefore that blockchain technology is being used Awesome. And while you were so succinctly explaining that, look who joined us, Mr. James Tidley. Hello, James. Hey, sorry I'm late. Yeah, you haven't lied, James. uh, Better late than never. Did you miss your bus? I missed my bus. I fell down. I hurt myself. I'm a mess. Oh, no. (laughs) There's enough Tylenol. Do you have Tylenol uh, on the West Coast? 
I do. Let me go run and grab you some Tylenol. Well, welcome to West Loves East Radio, our flagship. You're, you're, that's where we are today. And um, Johnny was just talking about blockchain technology. And um, now let's, uh, let's take a moment. I got a listener question from one of our big uh, listeners who've been listening to us since way back in time. Her name is Mimsy, or honestly, his name is Mimsy. I don't know if it's a dude or I, I don't know. Being non-gender specific, their name is Mimsy. And really, they want to know, how did you get into this crazy world of digital blockchain and cryptocurrency. And uh, Johnny, why don't you go first while I go run and get James some uh, Advil and a cup of coffee? Okay, okay, Badger. Well, he's come to the right place because I know the Badger's Den's got all sorts of goodies down here. Um, okay, well, I, I, my background is I was involved in the mutual fund industry, so managing people's money. So I first got into looking at blockchain technology and initially cryptocurrencies because it seemed like many of the cryptocurrencies um, went up and down. They zigged and zagged. They they moved, but their correlation was very, very different to traditional <coughs> stocks and bonds. And so I was looking at um, cryptocurrencies and was that a place to put a little bit of money because the returns that we've seen have been spectacular. You know, if we look in the last, literally in the last couple of weeks, we've seen some cryptocurrencies go up by hundreds of percent. Uh, a couple of years back, there was something called Ripple, and its cryptocurrency went up 28,000% in the matter of 12 months. Now, obviously, cryptocurrencies are volatile. They go up, but they can also fall. And we've seen, you know, Bitcoin, which is the biggest cryptocurrency, it hit something like $64,000 um, yeah, about 18 months ago. And it crashed all the way down to about $16,000. So this is the sort of investment where you should only put in the amount of money that you're prepared to lose. But it encouraged me to start looking into and trying to understand the technology behind those cryptocurrencies. And now my real interest isn't so much in cryptocurrencies, but in how can you use that technology in other assets? And those assets could be debt instruments like bonds or gilts. They could be um, quoted companies, shares or private companies or mutual funds. We're seeing more and more companies issuing digital shares of their mutual funds or maybe real estate or commodities or even some of the interesting things. And I know James has been looking at this and that's how do you digitize the data? So James has a fantastic club for people that, um, you know, are maybe in wheelchairs and things like that. And to encourage them, they're given like a digital loyalty point and you're able to actually then be rewarded based on your efforts and the number of times you go to classes and you then can get like a like a bonus points, like loyalty points, like air miles, like you get for on credit cards or airlines. And all that is digitally enabled. So we can start to actually monetize data in the same way that Google has and Facebook have. You, it's now possible to start monetizing your data so you can make money of it. And many of these schemes a run off the back of a blockchain. Yeah, Starbucks is one good example. Nike, do, all, all sorts of companies are using the technology and creating these digital assets. But J James, enough about me. It's all about you. Yeah, James. How did, and and 
people who know you, James, know that you are a New Yorker and you're a Wall Street guy. Tell us how you went from Wall Street to um, one, a big guy in crypto. Uh, well, am I a big guy? I don't know if I'm that big. I'm a little insulted there. I don't know. No, uh, I'm. Yeah, you know, I got into Wall Street very young. Being a New Yorker, your your life is either well, not New York. I mean, you're known for Wall Street, so all we got over there. I had actually gotten a gig with the internal. Well, man, my history is a mess. I, I I hate saying it, but I my first full time job was with a guy named Jordan Belfort, and it was uh, Oakmont Stratton in Nassau County, New York. And if you've all seen the movie The Wolf of Wall Street, it's what for the I most have. it's for the most part very true. It's a pretty accurate movie. Now I was selling throughout high school and college. I was selling chimney sweep. Um. If you had an, if you burned oil, you had to have your oil burner cleaned twice a year. If you had a fireplace, you had to have your your chimney done once every eighteen months. And gas burners were the cleanest. We only had to do those contracts every two years. And I was actually really good at selling chimney sweep services. And then one day, a friend of mine had said, "Oh man, you could you could sell chimney sweep services." You should come and see what we sell. And I said, okay, what do you sell? He goes, we sell stocks, but they're not real stocks. They're, they're little stocks. They're little, what they call over-the-counter pink sheet stocks. They're not the ones that you see on TV, right? They're not the ones that scroll across CNN or whatever. The, you're talking 1994, you know, regular TV. So I was like, all right, well, I mean, I could sell anything, right? So I go in there, and and and, and Oakmont Stratton or Stratton Oakmont, they, it was a very small building out in Nassau County. And when you lived on Long Island, you said to yourself, ah, 35-mile drive, it's, it's worth it because I lived in, you know, the suburbs. I go out there, and it's a whole sales pitch, including down to the sell me this pen type of deal or you go sell me this pen and that was a real thing out of the movie as well and everybody would uh-huh. say oh everybody would say oh the pen is great the pen writes it's black ink it writes upside down it, and it, and he'd take the pen away and he'd go no no and he, he would say Johnny sell me this pen and Johnny would take the pen and go as well it's, it's a good pen it's got a warranty for about no 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 James sell me the pen so he'd take the pen and he go you want me to sell you this pen like a real New York, right? I'm like, this, this pen right here? You want this pen? Yeah, sell me that pen. Well, what is it about this pen that you want? I mean, it's just a pen. Any pen will do its job. Now, it's a good pen, don't get me wrong, but, you know, it's really got to fit you. It's got to be your pen. What's What does this pen And he was like, you got the job, right? Because what you were doing was you were inquiring to get more about the customer, Right. You can't yeah, sell well, anything to a customer if you don't know what they want. That's a big correct. mistake that salespeople make. Yeah, it, it's a mistake that salespeople make to this day. They show up at your house and they tell you, you need this widget. This widget will improve your life. 
But if somebody, if you call Pepsi, right, and you go, Pepsi, mm, I'm thinking about switching over from Coca-Cola. Pepsi's going to jump. Why? Do you like soda? What kind of soda do you like? And all of a sudden, you're, you're going to get roped in. So we did this with penny stocks. And we were promising people tremendous upside potential with the most minimal amount of investment possible. It was the easiest sell in the world. Needless to say, it was dirty, scammy. I had no idea what I was selling. But I got to enjoy and I learned a few things about how a stock goes up and a stock goes down. Like the minimal, everybody knows, buy low, sell high. Eventually, we all got in trouble. They shut down. I went right back to being unemployed. And my parents made me go to the Internal Revenue Service. The IRS in the United States is making the news as it is today. Uh, kind of gave you, it was the best $24,000 a year job I could ever have. And I would say that to so, this day. Small world. I also had one of my first jobs in the stock industry. I used to work for Frank Russell. And I also used to work for the IRS. How crazy uh, is that, James? You're stalking me. I used yeah, to, yeah. I, I, had the, I had the graveyard shift. I'd work 5 o'clock in the morning, and I would open up the doors of the IRS. And I was, I was the guy that authorized or unauthorized uh, the attorneys that could practice in front of the, in front of the IRS. Like, we, we would literally, I was like 25 years old, and uh, I was like, oh, this guy, I can't even say, I mean, I had some big names. Uh, oh, there's, there's rumor that he did this. I'll suspend him and then escalate the case. Like, I was ruining the lives. Um, I, I was told tremendously horrible things that they would eat my firstborn and, and they would kill me. And I used to say, well, thank you for, for letting me know. Uh, my name is Joe. I went by Joe Perry from Aerosmith. I registered the name Joe Perry with the internal. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was like, thank you for calling. I remember, What's your name? I'm uh, Joseph Perry. <laughs> yeah. It's a very sweet emotion. I eventually I, I got out of that and and uh, I'd gotten a phone call from Bloomberg. Now, monster.com was not uh, or it was the only resume website out there at the time. And I'd put my resume there. And I, now I'm a tax guru and I'm a stock market. I'm a finance guru. At this point, right? Bloomberg calls me and, and they said, have you ever heard of Bloomberg? And I went, yeah, I think that's that TV channel I use as an alarm clock. Four o'clock in the morning, you know what I mean? You used to wake up yeah. and have your TV blaring. It's the only way you're going to wake up. And it was like the most boring, it was the most boring information that you could possibly wake up to. So you had to wake up. You had to get up and turn off the television. It was the greatest alarm clock ever. And and that like woman's paint dry. And that woman said to me, good enough. Can you come in for an interview to later? And I went into the interview. I went into the interview at Bloomberg in New York, 499 Park Avenue. Um, they About technical support. You know, can you reboot Windows? And everybody can reboot Windows when you're 25 years old. Went through the whole thing. And I'm in a wheelchair, right? So you figure I live in Long Island. I drove to the train station. I get on the train. I go into Manhattan. I wheel from Penn Station to 499 Park Avenue. I go through the entire interview. 
I meet with three different guys in technical support, and they say, thank you for, you know, we'll let you know. I wheel all the way back to, talk about 30 blocks in Manhattan. I wheel all the way back to Penn Station, get on a train, go all the way back to Long Island, get off the train, get in my car, go all the way home. I'm a guy in a wheelchair. The phone rings. Remember the landlines up on the wall? Yep. I, I answered the phone. I'm like, hey, this is Bloomberg. And I was like, oh, that's great timing. They're like, can you, uh, one other person wants to meet you. Can you come back in for an interview? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, absolutely. Let's do this. And they're like, okay, how about four o'clock? And I went, well, what? You mean today? Yeah. I was like, I just did this 100-mile round trip. And they're like, yeah, is that a problem? And I went, no, not at all. I hung up. I washed my face. I got in the car. I went back to the train station. I got on the train. I went back into Manhattan. I wheeled my wheelchair 30 blocks to 49 Park Avenue. Met up with Michael Bloomberg. They're like, yeah, you just have to meet Mike. He's the last guy. Oh, your name matches the company name. <laughs> you must be pretty important, huh? Yeah. You so Mike's the same like, last name as the company. You are the guy. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, interesting. He sits, he sits there and, and he goes, you want this job? And I go, yeah. And he goes, uh, everybody says you're really good. And I was like, all right, cool, thanks. And, you know, I'm a young guy. I'm 25 years old. And he's like, so um, can you handle the long hour? You have a long commute. You're in a wheelchair. Is that a problem? And I was like, no, no. And he goes, you know, people can get very mean. Now, I just spent a year or two having attorneys tell me that they were going to hunt me down and kill me, right? So, he yep. goes, you know, stockbrokers can be pretty mean. And I was like, uh, and, and even though I'm in a wheelchair at the time, I'm built kind of like John Cena, right? So I was like, listen, man, people don't scare me. Um, you know, I've been told, don't, don't worry about that. Can I just fix your computers? And he looks at me, and I swear to God, he'll probably tell you the same story. He goes, well, worst case scenario is you fulfill my equal opportunity employment requirements. Wow! <laughs> yeah, like, was that the 90s, right? Was that the 90s or the early 2000s? 99. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, Definitely is, a he product goes, of the times. He goes, is, is that okay <clears throat> with you? And I went, hey, whatever makes me the money, man, I need a job. And he's like, all right, come in Monday. So, like, if I had gotten insulted, like, I would imagine there are people today that you can't say that to me, right? I was like, are, does this mean I get paid? And he was like, good deal. And I started yeah. at Bloomberg. And at Bloomberg, I learned everything today. And, eventually, and, and seven years later, I had climbed up the corporate ladder to a level that I felt uncomfortable with. Right. I was 30 something years old and I said, I should not be here hanging out with a bunch of old guys. No offense, Johnny. I was, I was like, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm in my 30s and, and I can't be. Knock on wood, the best thing you've got. I, I, and I got greedy. And then um, Wall Street is Wall Street and you get greedy. And I went into a bidding war with Merrill Lynch and a company called UBS Warburg. And uh, my name had been known on the street. Everything was okay. And uh, they got into this bidding war over me. And Merrill Lynch was like, you can have this bonus. UBS Warburg is in Connecticut. They offered me a car that would sit on the other side of the Long Island Sound. They said, you only have to drive to the ferry. No more train. You get on the ferry. You take the ferry across the Sound and have your other car waiting for you. It's cool. That's a pretty good deal. 
turned out I wound up taking the Merrill Lynch offer because of money. Fast forward at Merrill Lynch, I wound up having a heart attack at the age of 34 and understood that there's no salary in the world worth your health. And just as I had had my heart attack at Merrill Lynch, this stupid little thing called Bitcoin was being invented. And while I was in on what you would call short-term disability, uh, I had become – I went from John Cena to John Candy. Am I allowed to say that on the radio? Absolutely. Uh, I was not in the, you know, already in a wheelchair. I was 220 pounds and I'm short and I could not move, had the heart attack and I had nothing to do but, but to search stuff. And I didn't want to lose my knowledge about everything that I, I mean, I had invented trading algorithms that were high frequency requirements across the globe. I connected Brazil with the United States electronically. We were the first company to ever do that in history, and and that was all me, and, and I was well rewarded. I'm not trying to brag, but like Forrest Gump says, we didn't have to worry about money no more. Yeah, absolutely. We know. I mean, that's what this is about, and you know, so. So I learned about awesome. Bitcoin, and I, and I never yeah. went back, to, and I basically never went back to work. Cool. That's kind of that, wild, right? It almost <clears throat> killed me. It almost killed me. Kind of like how I felt yesterday. But, uh, you know, I am 47 years old now. And uh, I'm still here. Well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's what we all learn as we get older, right? And that is the most detailed of my story I've ever told. Oh, good well, story, there James. You, go. you Great heard story. it here. <laughs> You heard it here. I think it's fascinating that you and I both worked in stocks and we both worked for the IRS. That, that, that is a true story. Uh, I have stories that I have to that have to die with me. Unfortunately, you know, when we took that oath of office, yeah, there, like that, that includes when you're no longer here. Yeah, um, it's it's. Yeah, I, I see names in the news today where I think back and I go, oh, I heard that guy a while ago. Well, it's like the wow. secret service, James. So my dad, um, my my, if you're with the Department of Treasury, uh, you are actually covered by the Secret Service. And my father, who's also disabled, uh, we could talk about this all day. So my parents were IRS agents for years. Oh wow! And that's kind of how so I you got were the, a legacy. <laughs> I kind of got the gig that way forcibly, but my father has my father created. The current day federal handicapped hiring program. So anybody who's disabled that can take a special test with the government, not just the IRS, but, but the government itself, and you, you get the job that way as a priority, him and a guy named Joe Munns, Joe Munns and Edwin Tiley, created this system which is still in use today as a part of that oh, that reference to equal opportunity employment. And uh, my father met with Reagan, remember you know, President Reagan, uh, multiple times. And then when, when it was considered a success, Reagan had said to my dad, what do you want? You can have anything that you want in this entire world. It's yours. And my dad said, I just want tenure. And Reagan was like, well, hell, that's all you want, tenure. Because I, I was a kid. I was like five years old. 
He goes, yeah, I got a young kid. I got, you know, I'm newlywed, whatever. And I want my career set in stone. Reagan gave him tenure in the federal government. Wow. And every single person that is hired today with a disability that took the disability route, you know, you could go get the job normal. But if you wanted to take that special, what they now call reasonable accommodation requirements and all that, that's uh, my dad laid that all out to this day. He's got more awards from presidents than I think I do in school. Wow, that's amazing. So, yeah, we're okay. big government people. Yeah, I am. I am too. And now I'm anti-government with the blockchain. Now, now we're all until the CBDCs come. Now I'm damning it to the man. Oh well, I I am still a civil servant. Will be a civil servant till the day I retire. Um, but that is my secret identity job, and no one knows what I do for the community at large and the state of Washington. But I am very proud of the work that I do being a civil servant. And uh, but we just uh, the Badger, the Badger will always keep that a secret identity. So let's move along here. And you guys had a guest writer for uh, the blockchain uh, publication. And he he wrote an article about M&A trends in the digital asset space. Let's expand upon that. Who's going to take that one? What an idea, Johnny. My voice is so dry. I'll say give James a bit of a break. So, yeah, we were delighted in this week's uh, Digital Bytes to get um, a a, it's actually a law firm um, who practiced both in well both sides of the pond, Badger. Uh, called DLA Piper, and they've been looking at different merger and acquisitions that have been going on in the digital space. And this goes back to what we were talking earlier on about this isn't just about sort of cryptocurrencies. This is more and more. So we've seen some big um, names in Wall Street and um, here in the city of London. Companies like Northern Trust, Standard Chartered, um, Goldman Sachs have all been looking to get involved in this area. But one of the common threads that we're seeing is that people are looking to try and grow and build their business. So the number of deals that we saw in 2020 um, were around about 360 different deals. Um, And then followed up a year later, there were another 260 deals. So we're seeing the sort of activity coming into this sector of all sorts of companies looking to be involved um, with digital assets and and including sort of cryptocurrencies. But the the other thing that we're seeing is that there's no one area, there's no one country that dominates digital assets. We're seeing pockets of expertise. So um, you've got the Crypto Valley in in Switzerland, which has been very active. Singapore is really active. You've got places like Australia. There's something called PEXA, which is Property Exchange Australia. And believe it or not, using blockchain technology, that company... Um, is now processing 80, 80% of all mortgages in Australia. And now they're coming here to the UK. They've just opened office over here. And they're looking, how do we actually ex- expand? And we can either grow organically, or you can look at doing um, sort of deals mergers. So a company that some of you will probably be familiar with is Coinbase. And uh, last year, they bought Turkey's oldest um, Bitcoin exchange, B- BTC Turk, and a deal worth, they reckon, 3.2 billion. And then our good old 
friend um, CZ, who's the founder of Binance, and he recently said that they've got over a billion dollars to spend on deals um, in the next year. And they're even thinking of buying a bank as one of the targets. There's lots, lots and lots of examples. And then I suppose coming away from financial services companies, you've got people like um, eBay um, bought a company that was very, um, very engaged in um, buying and selling NFTs, non-fungible tokens. They bought known origin, uh, known origin, sorry. And then finally, um, Nike, they acquired a, an NFT studio called RTFKT. And that was enabling them to really up their sort of digital presence because they now generate 25% of their revenue from digital sales. So that's becoming a big, big deal for Nike on a, on a global basis. This is like the big show, right? Where we are seeing more and more and more really big companies getting involved with this technology. Like they're like, okay, we see the writing on the wall. We're going to be walking over there. So this is just becoming more and more prevalent. The growth has increased so much in the last year. And as we talked about in our last podcast, that is really the projection for this year that we're going to see a lot more growth with these larger companies, right? Absolutely. I think what we're going to see is we're going to see more big global brands. Um, I, I mentioned earlier on when we were talking about this, how blockchain is being adopted, you know, Starbucks, you know, Amazon, um, Google, Microsoft, all these companies are involved with blockchain technology and they're producing digital assets, not necessarily for speculative purposes, but just it's it's cheaper, faster and more convenient and sometimes safer to have a digital asset when you're doing a transaction rather than using good old fashioned cash. Because at the end of the day, they reckon something in excess of 90 percent of all U.S. dollar paper bills have traces of cocaine on them. All There's right. Well, other gross stuff you don't money is the dirtiest thing on the planet it is so disgusting yep but with a digital asset it leaves a digital footprint and that means people then um they can track and trace what's being spent by who and where and that's that's good and bad it's bad in the sense if you want privacy so people are worried about central bank digital currencies if you know destroying their privacy because the government could potentially see what you're spending money on, but it's great in terms of cracking down on the shadow economy, which, you know, the shadow economy, um, I, when you don't pay taxes. So that's the sort of people you're trying to catch badger. And that's the people that, um, James and his family were very involved in trying to, you know, make sure people pay their taxes. Well, the size of that shadow economy is somewhere between 12 and 80% of different economies around the world. So in America, it's about 12% of the economy. So if the government could capture more of those taxes and crack down on the shadow economy, well, then they would create more taxes and that'd be good for others. And that's why you're seeing countries like France, Spain, you can't spend more than a thousand euros in cash. You have to use an electronic payments, i.e. credit card, debit cards. Um, they don't want you to use cash because if you're using cash, then, well, there you go. There, it's You probably aren't going to be paying taxes. So Digital currencies give the ability to track and trace, and they're actually safer than cash, really. I know. I agree. I think it's. I think that that's going to be the next way to go. When we, you know, <clears throat> I think that cash is 
um, you know, way riskier than um, any type of digital currency, because like you're saying, digital currency leaves a footprint and there's no way it can't. It's definitely going to be trackable and traceable. And just like when the internet started and people were putting up, you know, pictures of themselves in compromising positions. And I, you know, had people in my life where I was like, you don't want to do that, you know, because guess what? That's going to be, somebody is going to be able to see that forever. So, you know, once it's on the internet, it's there forever type of thing. And which is true, which is true of the digital currency. Like, right, that data is out there in the ether forever. And when we can look at that. Literally the ether. And that's good and and bad, Badger, good and bad. Some things you're happy to eat forever. Other things, perhaps it's not such a good idea. You know, if I could add one thing about cash, remember how many people that are visually impaired that have made mistakes with cash or been taken advantage of with cash, right? Like, I, yes. I, 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 in fact, I think it was the IRS where I, I worked with a guy that was blind and he could feel the difference between a 20 and a 100. But it make no mistake, that was like a special talent or yeah. something that maybe he had trained himself to identify. So, you know, cash, there's just so many antiquated ways of allowing for mistakes that digital assets and currency can can resolve. Absolutely. Um, when I worked for, um, uh, people don't realize this, but the radio broadcast industry is very visually impaired friendly. I have worked at several radio stations in my career and these big, huge DJs, I worked with two of them in my life and they were both severely visually impaired, huge radio personalities, had big, huge careers. They were these big, huge DJs back in the day both of them severely visually impaired and nobody would have ever known. The reason why is because Braille, Braille on the carts. I just said that, didn't I too? Braille on the carts. For those of you who aren't in radio, I've also had that, that dual career in radio the whole time. Carts were, if you remember, eight track decks. Remember eight tracks, Johnny? Those big fat things you used to put in the uh, car. Yeah, I remember those. I bet you had a Barry yeah. White eight track, right? I had a Barry White. I didn't. I never got a meatloaf one though. That really would be cool. You need to find oh. a meatloaf eight track. So these eight oh. tracks, carts I and radio, carts and radio were one track, but they were the eight track format. They were gigantic. They were cartridges like Atari. And when you when you I heard, think there are probably still radio stations out there that still use them. Oh, got to be the last radio station that I was in that had been around that it existed like KISW, which is one of the biggest uh, radio stations in Seattle. Last time I was in the studio at KISW, they were still in their old studio and they still were using carts. Wow. Johnny, do you ever Uh, have um, those towers that you store all your cassettes in? Like yeah. a, like a what do they call lazy susans? Lazy susan, yeah. 
so we <laughs> we had at my radio stations out, out in in New York, we had these. I always considered it like elementary school and high school. We had the AV units, the TV and the VCR, and that yeah, you had the one geek that would roll it into the room for everybody. We had oh, yeah. those, and they were loaded with these eight track looking type cartridges, wow. and you would just spin them around, and you go, "I need the um, digital. Uh, I need the digital bytes podcast commercial," and then you would find it, and then you would pop it in violently. You would th- you would smack it into the eight track player, and it would immediately launch the commercial, and then you would push a button that would immediately move over to the next song that was queued up. So, so yep. James, just 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 for younger listeners, so basically, um, originally we had record players, his master's right. voice, so bits of vinyl, and then I it went do. to, and then it went to um, reel to reel, and then we had cassette. Oh, then we had eight track, eight track, and then we had little cassettes, and then it went CDs, and now it's streaming. Just very very quickly, that's that's a very brief rundown of how music used to be played, isn't it? Have I missed anything? You know, it's, well, you know what's interesting about a track, right? <clears throat> you could skip to the next song, which uh, which you could do on CD, right? And you could do it on MP3, and you could do it on. No, let's see. You would hit a button and go to the next track. Like I don't like that song. Boom, you know, in your personal a track player. So you guys, are, so the very first musical recording was actually wax cylinders wax so cylinders. music was originally recorded on wax cylinders and wax then it on, went to on. vinyl then it went yep. to vinyl lps then we had eight tracks then we had cassettes and then it went to uh oh it went to dat remember dat Yep, short-lived digital audio tapes. Yep, we had DAT was digital audio tapes. Um, We had that, and then from digital audio tapes, that's where it went to MP3. And you think 150 years from now, some somebody's going to be on a on whatever you consider a podcast, right? They're going to say, so these people had money that was physically paper, and it would get torn, and then it became plastic. And they would swipe this plastic into machines that read it, unless you had a magnet. And they realized that didn't go. Then they decided to digitize it and make it a computer program. This is how simplistic these people were 200 years ago. And the computer programs would get hacked or they would lose their keys. Right? Like 200 <laughs> years from now, what is money going to be? They're going to go back to a wax. You know, everybody will always know what a coin is. But they're going to mock the way that we've spent money, probably even today with Bitcoin, because by then you'll have quantum computers. Yeah, absolutely. Badger, another great, another great show. Yes, this was fabulous. Wonderful to be on the air with both of you. James, I hope your your bruises heal up. Sorry that you got bonked. You made me feel better. I got all riled up now. And James, you're over at Cyber.fm, aren't you? So I have work to do at Cyber.fm. I have work to do at Digital Bytes uh, at TeamBlockchain.net. And uh, I have work to do. Yeah. Yeah. I got to get my game on. And James. We all have 
the oh, badge is on the west party. coast you're on the east coast and i'm here in london um and i'm with uh, team blockchain and we do digital bytes every week so if you want a copy just go on a cyber.fm or um go to team blockchain and you'll see how you can get your own free copy every week and we expand more some of the topics we've been talking about how where and why blockchain and digital assets are being used but but badger will be back what a couple of weeks with some more stories and some more more chat absolutely and you know how you can help us while you're watching this digitally animated podcast on our amazingly fabulous youtube channel please uh like and subscribe and then below comment and ask us your questions that you want johnny fry and james ty lee to answer and guess what will happen they will and if we really really think your question is cool then um maybe we'll create an animated character for you and you can come be on the show oh you're really you're really selling it huh absolutely digital badger i can i can turn somebody into a floop i've been dying to use that character it's kind of a furry little football that flies around in space <laughs> okay badger we're gonna let you we've got to watch out because it's getting light in your part of the world and you know what happens when it gets light you've got to go to work yes that is i have to put on my um super suit and head out into the public and and serve them appropriately Excellent. Okay, well, thank you so much. This has been West Loves East Radio presents a cryptocurrency and digital blockchain informational podcast with Johnny Fry and James Ty Lee. Thanks so much, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 